0: For this. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your son. As always, every day, every week, every month of the year, we celebrate it this month, Lord, and we'd ask that you would um, drive home to us um, our expectations of your son. In your son's name, Amen. Uh, when I said about what David read in he, at the end of Hebrews, I do want you to read the end of Hebrews because it, it's like at a certain point in Romans, I'm sure you all spend your free time in Romans, you get theology, 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 practicality at the very end. But if you haven't read the theology, the practicality might not make a lot of sense. The practicality in that end of Hebrews is resting on what the author of Hebrews is doing through Hebrews that's very important for us. You have to remember that we're at the other end of 2,000 years of, tragically, Christian tradition. Uh, 2,000 years of getting it wrong and insisting on it being wrong and making other people Cut down a tree sacred to Wotan and erect it in your living room and adorn it with lights. And they'd say, "No, it's for Jesus now." You know, okay. Well, I like it. I have a nice tree, good cultural significance. But we're we know we're we're being we're swept along by centuries of in the Western world Christian domination. We sometimes don't realize what it was like to be a Christian when it was just you know 17 of them you know whatever whatever the number when there wasn't a church on every corner you didn't have a choice like a smorgasbord of which denomination and worship style you got to go enjoy or what kind of preacher it was and consequently books like galatians or a book like romans or or hebrews are trying to Straighten out the thinking of people who are either pagans or they were Jews. And obviously Hebrews, it was Jews. To get them to not fall into the wrong, already present traditions of men religiously. Anyway, now, we have to realize what we're about when we think about ourselves as religious people. Um, I know that back when I was young, the phrase was "It's not a religion; it's a relationship." Well, it's a religion too, you know. It's basically anytime you meet a god, and the god is expecting something of you, you form a religion to do it. And that's what we we found a god. Now, there were other gods that you could have picked. There are other. I'm so going to share all in between about some J-dubs she was having an evangelism too over the last year. And uh, they picked, them, picked incorrectly, but they picked. Uh, they'll use the same names, but they picked something different, define it differently. You know, you picked Jesus Christ as understood rather exquis- exquisitely in a particular range, right? I am assuming you are largely evangelicals. Believing in the salvation by grace through faith, not in ritual observance. So we know where we are. We know where we sit. Now, what I, that wasn't always the case. I didn't have those options. He had false teachers. But the basic tension is between religions that were really there, like the pagan ones or the Jewish religion, and what was coming in Jesus Christ. Now when I was uh, a history major, and because I, I kind of like stuff of the old-timey nature, it was always entertaining. I mentioned uh, Tara had the right answer of the Enuma Elish last week uh, regarding the elevation of Marduk as a god in the Babylonian pantheon. Well, the, the, the elevation of Marduk, Marduk was just, you know, halfway down the pantheon. And Ea and Enki and Enlil and Anu, others, uh, were above Marduk. Push came to shove. Fights broke out. Marduk walks away with it. Generally reflective of a particular nation's or, or priesthood's control over a particular nation's religion. And when they won a war, ha, it's Marduk. We do it with football teams. They did it with the religions. The, the Greeks, did, the Greeks, and the Romans did the same thing. We have um, uh, Uranus and Cronos, his son. Uranus is the sky god. Cronos uh, uh, is the the titan, and then Zeus, his son, overthrows Cronos and becomes the high god of the Greco-Roman Jupiter of the uh, of the Greco-Roman systems of religion. Everybody is supplanting, you know, this idea of overturning the religious sensibilities with a story, with an understanding, with a claim of power. And when we picked a religion, when we came to Jesus Christ, we were affirming this was true. You were saying that in the height, you don't pick the God. You're not some animist who says, well, you know, you know, you have the big gods for you important people in the city, but, uh, um, you know, I just like to have my little roof you know, god of the creek next to my house. You know, there are animists like that who just simple, I just want to shop at Target, and I want to worship a god that's in charge of three square acres next to my house. That's not real religious. They're not really religious people. Those of us who are religious, we say, I'm going to find the biggest, best, most high God. That's why God is called the most high. He's called the God of gods. Because you want to find the most high that he would be worshipped by you because the most high is the safest place to be. And so the question for the writer of Hebrews is not just that Jesus Christ came along like Marduk, Jesus Christ came along as a son of the God, right? The only begotten son of God. He comes along, steps into the picture, a Jewish carpenter during the reign of Tiberius and Augustus. and um, that was important. The question, what happens, is once we, we realize, Evan, you're not saying that he's God. No, he is God. Not just the Son of God, is God. The whole fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. So I know we, we could write uh, theological works about what all this is and make what the claims are. But you're not just you're not just finding what your religion is, you're finding out what your religion supplanted. Because a lot of people think that Zeus was always the top of the heap. Right? Then they hear about Kronos, and they go, what? And then Kronos' dad, what? Other gods? Older? More powerful, but not more powerful. What have you supplanted? Because if you don't know what you've you don't know what you, want, you know what you believe, but you don't know what you supplanted. Christianity supplanted some things, just generally speaking, in many and various ways. This is Hebrews 1.1. 1, 1. God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world he reflects the glory of god and bears the very stamp of his nature now look at, listen to this declaration of your god but he also sets it up against what this god supplanted and the olden times the prophets in the last days by his son who inherits everything Listen to the phrase and what the phrase claims. He, appointed the, he was appointed the heir of all things. So he's the recipient of everything coming. And he is also the creator of everything that is. So he was the beginning and the end. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature. Upholding the universe by his word of power. I so you, We're dealing with somebody, what is it we learn about God from nature, there's infinite power and deity. That's who Christ is. You can read this in Colossians, uh, firstborn of all creation. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and having uh, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has obtained is more excellent than theirs. Now, I want you to read through Hebrews next time you read through the whole thing, and I'm skipping through Hebrews this morning. Going, this is the writer of Hebrews is just throwing elbows about the, the greatness of Jesus Christ above all other, even legitimate real, preceding religious affections. The prophets, nah, were better than the prophets. The angels were better than the angels. He's superior. He is more excellent than they. When you know what you have supplanted in Jesus Christ, when you know what you have, and you know what it supplants, your Christian life in Christ is going to be, you might say, tidier and more confident about what you're doing. You kind of know what your, what your job description is as a Christian. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay the closer attention to what we've heard. Now, at the end of all the way through 1, he's showing how Jesus Christ is superior to the angels. Therefore we must pay the closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For if the message declared by angels was valid and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, says, okay, remember how that religion that we supplanted run by angels based in angel, angelology everybody likes good angels everybody likes angels to visit them we read that passage in at the end of Hebrews this morning. Some have entertained angels unawares in their hospitality. We like that kind of. Oh, if you knew that you had angels stomping by, oh, you'd be so special as a Christian. But we're not about angels. I mean, we can we know about them, but this the, the religion that is rooted in angel stuff is not the religion we're dealing with. If. What happened when people rejected angels, received a just retribution? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Once you realize that where you're planted and what is supplanted, you realize that it's Christ and not the prophets. Oh, what what do the Islamic folks do? They want to say something nice, right? There are people... Christians are people of the book. Jews are people of the book. Zoroastrians are people of the book. And oh, Jesus Christ, yes, he is a prophet. He is a prophet of God. There's no doubt he is a prophet of God. Can't we just accept their half measures? Can't we just say that was kindly offered? No, because our religion is greater. Where we're planted is in Christ, the God who holds the universe together by his word of power. You need to draw the line because if I fail to escape, if that lower version of a religion would be dumped on you, the punishments of it with just retribution, how are you going to escape if you reject Jesus Christ as Jesus Christ, who he is? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard him. Well, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his own will. For it was not to angels. When you realize what is the nature of a power shift and how people are reluctant to give up their angelology, Reluctant to give up their Old Testament, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. You jump to verse nine in chapter two. You can, every gap is a jump, so forgive me. I'm not creating, hopefully, a false sense of context. It's the it's the whole. You could you could write this outline through the whole book of Hebrews. And uh, you'd have a bunch of other topics too, but I didn't want to get bogged down in the other topics. But there, this flow is going through the whole book of Hebrews. So, what are you going to do? What, what are you doing with Jesus Christ? How are you holding to Jesus Christ? Do you realize how important it is that the religion of Jesus Christ has to be your religion? You can't just go, well, ah, you know, I kind of like the old school stuff. Verse 9, but we see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The whole story of the Christ is this. We covered it this week in the, in the Williams reading where, uh, where someone is, uh, what was the word he used, sublimated, not sublimated, um, how the devils could not ever allow themselves to be lower than their servants. And Christ made himself for a little while lower than the angels so that he could taste death. So in, this, in, in all of this, when it starts with Jesus Christ, he's spoken to us by a son. His name is more excellent there. We have to pay closer attention to it, verse 1 of chapter 2. It is such a great salvation. We see Jesus. What's, what are we seeing? Do you have a, a clear outline? You've know, got a little coloring book and without any reference to any theological works. Can you just draw yourself some sort of picture of what it is to be a Christian? If we handed out the blue books here in church, said, okay, exam time, no sermon, yay, test. You get to write an essay on what it is to be a Christian. We see Jesus, made lower than the angels, able to taste death for everyone. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 3, Therefore, holy brethren, who share in a heavenly call... Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, this whole thing is leaning heavily into Jesus Christ. We need to understand that as we, as Christians, not just as, we're not Protestants, we're Christians. We don't follow some guy named Johnny Protest. We follow Jesus Christ. Now, that's something that we... (laughs) <laughs> need to say this is, I, I, my father always spoke of the LDS church, he said, these are not Mormons, they're unbelievers. Everybody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, the death, burial and resurrection, they're, they're unbelievers. We just, they are stuck in the same spiritual condition and trap that any unbeliever is trapped in, however religious they may have dressed it up to be. So he always knew that he was dealing with non-Christians. You're a Christian because you follow Jesus Christ. We have considered Jesus. We see Jesus. We have lifted Jesus up to the preeminent. We have made him preeminent. Now, this morning we're talking about what does the writer of Hebrews want you to consider about what did he supplant? One, the prophets. Two, the angels. Now, There's a concern because in through Hebrews, and you'll run into the chapter 4 and chapter 6, chapter 10, there's various passages that will cause you some consternation and perhaps in a conversation in the future, you'll say, Evan, what do you do with that passage in chapter 4? We'll We'll talk about it then. But it's about this. It's about this concern of the writers of Hebrews. Take care, brethren, verse 12 of chapter 3, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, because that's what happens. Now, that, that sounds like, oh, yeah, I heard so-and-so, he's, he's, he's backsliding, he's falling away, I so saw him staggering out of John's alley the other night, and he's got some trouble with the drink. Well, yeah, people can sin that way, people can fall away that way, people can backslide that way. The kind of backsliding we're concerned with is religious backsliding. Going back, the Jews, Hebrews, going back to the prophets and the angels instead of the Son of God. Because it's, the prophets were real prophets and the angels are real angels and they really were servants of the living God, but they were rep- representing a different religion. But exhort... One another, every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if only we hold our first confidence firm to the end. While it is said, today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Now, that can apply to a lot of different things, but in the context of the book of Hebrews, he is concerned with how other religious presences... And and the danger is valid religious preferences. Not just some made-up, wacky Scientology thing. We're dealing with uh, the real message of the real prophets of God. The real elect people of God and the Jews. Their law delivered to them by angels. But what you believed at first... It's an evil, meaning calamitous, unbelieving heart, that which takes away your confidence you have in faith and starts to measure you in terms of whatever the hoop you have to jump through regarding, well, he's prophets, angels, and now it's priests. Verse 14 of chapter 4, Since then we have a great high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The way we live our Christian life is because we have a priest who is not a mess. I can't be a priest. Oh, I could be a priest if I were a, a Levite, but it wouldn't be that great a priesthood because I'd be a sinful priest. I have to offer sacrifices for my own sins as well as for yours, but this in Christ, a high priest, a great high priest, has supplanted any other priesthood. That's why it says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, because there is no other priesthood that is worth a lick. So the prophets, the angels, the priests, we're not saying they were all wrong. We're just saying that religion is no match for Jesus Christ. You don't want to fail to believe in where you have planted Jesus Christ, maker of heaven and earth, upholding the universe by his word of power we have a great high priest. So much so that when in the writer of Hebrews, midway through the book, where is the book? Somewhere here in the Bible. There in chapter 5, we, I skip over 5 down to 7, but it starts to call his priesthood a priest after the order of Melchizedek, which is just like front-loading the weird deal. Okay, all right, what did you, What? Wait, Melchizedek? Yeah, because this is different. Jesus Christ is the priest of a different religion, of different practice. Not the practice of the law of the Jews, not the practice of, of whatever animistic or basic religion of antiquity. Jesus Christ came, God himself died for our sins And it says in verse 22 of chapter 7 and in red, it was remarkable that it came out of the Bible in red, this makes Jesus the surety of a better covenant. Oh, God. He's kicking everybody while they're down. He's picking fights with everybody on the good side of the ledger. It's not like he's, he's creating an apologetic against the Roman atheists and the Roman agnostics and the Roman false religionists. He's picking a supplanting fight because Anu and Leleia, they were all the real gods. Nobody had a problem with the godness of those guys or the godness of Uranus or Kronos. We just knew that Zeus had supplanted them. Do you know that Jesus Christ, you, in you, the hope of glory, has supplanted all the actual things in our mythology, our Christian Jewish History. we have to know what the story is, what God supplanted. It's not just the prophets, the angels, the priesthood. It's now the covenant. It's a better covenant than Jesus Christ. And I hear, the reason this is on my mind is I was in a discussion the other night with someone who was into the old covenant a bit, and I was... uh, I was trying to stand fast in the new covenant. It's amazing when people don't stop and they hear the word, they see the word, they think there's only one covenant. No, there's, there's an old covenant and there's a new covenant. Do you realize that your Bible is divided into the old covenant and the new covenant? That's why it's called the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's what a covenant is, is a testament. Now, Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. A better priesthood, greater metaphysical agent than than an angel. i got a painting come down the line of of Michael the archangel throwing Satan down from heaven uh, over Moscow Mountain, conveniently. Uh, uh, And, you know, Michael looks pretty badass, you know. And Satan looks pretty Satan-y. You can understand why with all that art over all those years, all those glowing moments. It's, it's a very, I want to tell you how predictable it is. Lydia will understand this. Lydia, Lydia um, Warner. I was drawing the initial sketches for this painting. I say, we don't want to know this, Evan. No, you're going to hear this. And I was, various sketches. Okay, how am I going to have Michael throwing Satan down from heaven? Very sketch, you know, quick, fast. A bunch of them laying out in front of me. So, you know, I really got to consult the histories, the great paintings of artists who have done this theme before. And I start looking them up, and they are almost all identical to my sketches. It's like, this is what people think. I mean, in the cultural mix of what, it's always... Satan much more muscular than I with a like a, a lance or a fork or something, standing on Satan with Satan writhing in some lizardy sort of way. Now I changed it because I couldn't put up with that. And I think those stories are true. I think Michael, the archangel, had a war with the devil and threw him down from heaven. I think it's all part of what God is up to. But part of what he is up to is presenting us with his son, mortal, to die for our sins as a better covenant, a covenant of faith, not a covenant of priesthoods. Our high priest was without sin. Christ becomes the earnest money for a better covenant. And if you found that, you need to know what... Because, frankly, you know, with, my paint, with Evan painting paintings of the fall of Satan, everybody's kind of into it. Everybody likes that. It's almost like, well, the Bible says it's, we've got superheroes with wings. We like that. We get excited religiously by it. Now... You need to know what will cause you to finally go, finally, some really, you know, my uh, universal, clasping my pudgy hands together. Finally, some excitement in my Christianity. I got some angels. I got me some prophets. I got me some priests. No, you don't need any of that nonsense. Oh, man, but I got this. I found the contract that God wrote back in the 1400s B.C. And, man, that gave us a lot to do. We could run around talking about angels, talking about prophecies, talking about our priesthoods, and, and we could get robes, and we could smells and bells it. We could just act like it's, we could base our Christian worship on the temple uh, observances of the Jews. And, and any Christian ought to be looking at that person and maybe clenching their knuckles a little bit, ready to pop them one. Because they need to be popped, Maybe maybe spiritually. Maybe not actually physically. Not like what's-his-name did to the... Who was it? St. Nicholas? Santa? Beat somebody up at some um, Christian conference in Turkey. I don't think it was right for him to do. But you should be going... I know what my religion is. It isn't that priesthood. It isn't your smells and bells. It isn't your songs of ascents. It isn't your doing these religious things because the religion in Jesus Christ is a better one. No matter how real the older version is. Now the point of what we are saying is this. Verse 1 of chapter 8. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the sanctuary, and the true tent which was set up not by man but by the Lord. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, hence it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy this is what's confusing to our pudgy little fingers. When we want to run around and feel religious about something, you're like the people who LARP it up at various times in your year or gone. You know, the guy who's like 15. I don't know. Should we shoot everybody who turns 15? Maybe 14, 15? Do they come back to life after that? Could just a year, just for to be dead a year. Because when you Halloween comes along for a 15-year-old boy, 15-year-old boy doesn't dress up in an imaginative interesting costume, he dresses up in what he wants everyone to think he is. He wants to dress up as his mythic protagonist. We end up being copies. Because the sanctuary, the temple, the priesthood, It all was a copy, a shadow. Paul argues this, the writer of Hebrews, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. We, our Christ, our high priest is in the heavenly sanctuary. I don't need to pretend that my church building with this cool chancel, you know, is somehow a religious space, which if I had better robes, I could do the magic, get the juju going. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary for when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. So the writer of Hebrews is saying Moses was making the tabernacle as an image even in his mind of what he had seen of a heavenly tabernacle. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry which is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. If you don't get straight what the position of Jesus Christ is in his priesthood and in his covenant, you, and, and from the get-go say, ours is better than yours, neener, neener. You know how you taunt opponents in a, in a sporting match. Here, hold my trophy while I kiss your girlfriend. You got you know, you, 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 I grew up. I uh, Duke in on the East Coast is always they're a smart school, pretty smart schools. So their insults are very smart, and they would say things like that on their signs. We're smart, you're dumb. You know what it's like. This is what you. This is what the writer of Hebrews is up to. He's saying. We've got a ministry in Christ. Coming to us, our religion coming to us is much more excellent than the old in the same way that the covenant Jesus Christ gave you is better than the old. Do you understand you don't have the same covenant? Do you understand that your religion isn't a sum total of Jewish teaching. Jesus Christ has brought something new on the historic heels of it. The whole religion of the Jews was there to uh, prepare the world for Jesus Christ. The copy was there to make people know what was coming. But what was coming is here. We've had it. We don't need to go back. If we start to go back, if we give up by the unbelief in what Jesus Christ has done for us, and he wants to argue the point. He's attained a covenant. His covenant mediates is better since it's enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, you get the idea that he believes there is more than one covenant? If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second. Jesus Christ came because of the need not because I knew God and I'm just going to try to throw my weight around see if I'm powerful enough. It was flawed. That priesthood was flawed. The work of angels had flaws in it. For he finds fault with them when he says, and then he quotes Jeremiah 31. Please go look at Jeremiah 31. It's quoted exactly here in Hebrews. It's the prophecy of the coming new covenant. The days will come, says the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I paid no heed to them, says the Lord. This is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the new covenant. Remember, the old covenant is not a religion about a different God. It's a religion about the same God, but the God who's looking at that covenant not working in the Jews. Not producing, not having the promises that were better. Didn't have the priesthood that was as good as the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Their God. What did we talked about a few weeks ago in the Shema? The the um, um, greatest commandments: to love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. Here very center to the work of the new covenant. The greatest things are achieved in us. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. That's what it tells you to do in the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And in the new covenant, God is going to do that to you. They shall not... Now, this is, I don't want you to miss, I should have made that not in red. They shall not teach everyone his fellow and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. They shall not do that. Got that? But, but we, we gotta do that. We gotta have a youth group, we gotta have a Sunday school. We have to make the little bastards memorize. What it is to be a Christian. You shall not teach everyone his fellow. Now, why is that? For all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest. So, if you are a Christian, this is what you have this is the new covenant, this is your God, this is your priest. This is the thing that is highest above the high. This is what has supplanted all that cheap religion, the copy stuff, the fake stuff you don't obviously don't want, but you don't want to be suckered in like the Jews are being suckered back into the law, back into the priesthood, back into the operations of sacrifices and the like. And they try to build a religion that is about Jesus Christ, but it's being done like it was the old covenant, where you have to teach people to know the Lord. Well, the only people in Jesus Christ are people who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. They knew they were sinners. They fell on their knees. They called on the name of the Lord to be saved. You must believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and you shall be saved. We know what this message of faith is. It's a covenant of faith. We don't have to. I mean, we enjoy learning about things, but... I know that every one of you that's a Christian, I have actual metaphysical fellowship with because you know the Lord already. You, didn't, you don't know the Lord because of the wonder of my sermons. You don't know the Lord because you are well trained. And if you suspect that your knowledge of the Lord is only because you were well trained, you might want to talk to someone who's a Christian. Because we know the Lord because we have been baptized by his Holy Spirit. If you do not have the spirit of Christ, it says in Romans, you do not have Christ. They shall all know me, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. So what are we doing, dealing with here? Your religion, what I wanted to say is your religion is Jesus Christ. And you know him. That's the benefit of what he has done. And it's not knowing him through some gyration in front of a holy space. Some death of some animal that you could slaughter with the holy people and the holy hands. Our Christ, our priest, is what was killed. Everyone in this religion knows the Lord, and you were forgiven of your sins. You ought to be living in accord with this. You don't want to, what does it say? Fall away from the living God. You don't want to neglect such a great salvation. You must pay closer attention to this. This is your religion. Do you live like you have been forgiven of your sins? Do you live like you know the Lord? Do you you live like you are coming each day to a greater and greater knowledge of your God? In speaking of a new covenant, he treats the first as obsolete. Do you understand? I get into trouble all the time. And you, know, you say, well, yeah, that's why we love you so much, Evan. Because I get in trouble all the time, saying things I ought not to say. Now, not here. I don't get that much trouble here. But in conversations, people come over and they say, you're an antinomian. I say, yes, I am. It means against the law. Because you can't say some things that the biblical writers say comfortably in Christian circles. Oh, You know that the the law is obsolete. I What are you, a liberal? You want abortion everywhere? Immorality? What are we going to do without the law? Without the law of the Jews, the law of Moses? Well, I was just quoting the writer of Hebrews. He treats the first as obsolete. Ephesians had a passage I read to somebody the other day, for he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. The Christian is a different man. We are not old school religion where Everything the prophets said is what I have to implement. I believe the prophets. I teach the prophets. I love it when angels show up. I believe the angels. They were serving the living God. But the religion they brought is not my religion. And What is becoming obsolete, the last line here, and growing old, is ready to vanish away. The old religion had faults, it didn't work. The old religion is obsolete. The old religion is old. And with Christ it has vanished. If you're living the Christian life, the new covenant with your high priest Jesus Christ, God himself dying for your sins without sin himself, you've got got such a wealth of a life. Forgiveness, knowing your God, being pointed at Jesus Christ, not something cheap like Marduk, not something cheap, some Greek thing with draped in Greek robes. I mean, some sweet, sweet gods there, but, you know, just not really up to it. And if you, we fall back into what Moses and Abraham and all the rest of the great saints of old were believing or living by, like, remember, they believed without having received what was promised. We have received what is promised. This is what we have each other. We have this Christianity where we've met Jesus Christ. We have come to know him. We don't need to tell each other to know God because we all know him. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. Keep us from falling away. In your son's name, amen.